Hi everybody, this is Matt Kirby, and welcome to a brand new episode of Groupie and Harmony, the podcast all about music. First of all, my, apolog- my apologies about it being a really long time since my last episode. Probably been like two and a half weeks. I had a lot going on, both with work and then personal life. Things have settled down a little bit, and uh, so I think that I think that I won't have this kind of long gap anytime in the near future. And I wasn't too worried about it since there haven't been too many crazy music news things. I mean, there was the Super Bowl halftime show. I didn't really want. I mean, amazing show. Shakira and J Lo are amazing performers, and I mean there were the Oscars and the Oscar performances there. There were some good performances, but I don't really want to talk about that stuff. You, it's so delayed at this point. Um, but what I'm going to be talking about today is Woodstock. And in particular, I'm going to talk about everything that went wrong with Woodstock. Now, before I get into that, though, I have a Facebook page. It's called Groupie and Harmony. Make sure you give that a like, because I post whenever I release a new episode on there. And I also post whenever I have an any sort of announcements, which I have one shortly, but it's all there in one, in one nice and convenient place. I know some people kept check, checking. I saw that I had a bunch of views in the time that I wasn't able to post one, so that's probably the best spot for it. Um, and when you were checking, no, I wasn't forgetting to post it on there. I just hadn't recorded anything, but anyways, beside the point. Now, before we get into the episode, um, one of the sites that I have been posting my podcasts on, Anchor, so they so uh they have a tendency of submitting the podcasts to different sites. So I'm exciting I'm excited to say that I have a bunch of new place there's a bunch of new places where Groupie and Harmony is now gonna be on. So an- through Anchor, uh my podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, uh Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. Uh, it also got posted on Spotify again through them, because I posted it um, through Wooshka on uh, to Spotify. So if you look on, if you search Groupie and Harmony on Spotify and you find two pages for it on Spotify, that would be why. Um, but yeah, so you can now look on any of the, find it on any one of those sites. Some of them you might need uh, memberships for, or like need to create an account. I'm not sure of the details yet, but I'm really excited to see the podcast expanding and being able to be posted on all these different sites. Um, so thank you, Anchor, for allowing that to be possible. Um, I'm, it's always just exciting news. Now, onto Woodstock. So the reason I decided that I wanted to talk about this was because I, I love looking at different festivals and reading about what happened with these festivals. And in particular, I love seeing about how different festivals failed and things that went wrong with different festivals. I know I've talked a bunch about uh, all the things that happened at Epicenter last year, but honestly, that compared to some festivals, Epicenter looks like it was well run. I know the modern example is Firefest that everyone points to for being the massive failure of a festival. And I will say, while I haven't watched any of the do- either of the documentaries on uh, about it yet. I love reading about that one. I find it so much fun to read about, and I do hope to watch the documentaries on it, but while there are a lot of festivals throughout history that I could talk about, I decided I wanted to do one about all the Woodstocks over the years, because 
Here's an unpopular opinion. In my opinion, Woodstock should not have been the massive success it was, like the original Woodstock. I think, because I know now it is the most iconic festival, pro probably ever. But honestly, at, with everything that went wrong, I have no idea how it, how it, it even worked. So, what I'm thinking is, while there have been like a bunch of different Woodstocks and Woodstock tributes, so there were, there was the original Wood. I'm going to talk about five things with it. I'm going to talk about the original Woodstock. I'm going to talk about a uh, 1979 Woodstock tribute. I'm going to talk about 94 Woodstock. I'm going to talk about 99 Woodstock. And I'm going to talk about Woodstock 50, which was scheduled for last year. I'm going to do it in chronological order because I think it's appropriate to start out with the original Woodstock. And then the reunion Woodstock and the 94 Woodstock were fairly anticlimactic. And then the 99 Woodstock and Woodstock 50 were both disasters. And I think they really lend themselves and kind of segue into each other. And also, it's in chronological order, but beside the point, we'll start out with the original Woodstock. So, it was so it was scheduled for August fifth. Or it took place August fifteenth to eighteenth. It was scheduled for August fifteenth to seventeenth, really. But performances ran a little long. We'll get to that a little later. Um, it was organized by Michael Lang, whose name you'll hear a bunch in this episode today. Artie Kornfeld, uh, Joel Rosenman, and John P. Roberts. And it, it had an iconic uh, lineup. Some of the more notable artists on it included in the lineup were Jimi Hendrix, who closed out the festival, The Who, Grateful Dead, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Santana, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Jan Janis Joplin, Jefferson Airplane, The Band, Sly and the Family Stone, and Joan Baez. Now, there were a lot more. There were several other iconic artists. I didn't. There were 32 artists total. I didn't want to just sit here and read 32 names out for you guys. Um... So, and then with the original Woodstock, we all know about how this became this iconic peace and love festival. That's not what I'm talking about. Now, there were several issues with this one. The first one was the venue. So, it was originally scheduled to be in Wallkill, New York. But residents of the town uh, shot down the idea. Then, uh... Lang, and I don't remember who the other one was involved with it. It might have been Cornfield who was originally doing the venue. Um, they thought they had booked one that was in uh, Socrates, New York. But after meeting with the lawyer of the location, found out that they didn't actually have permission to use that venue. So, uh, the the finance, the people financing it, who, it was, I believe, Roberts and Rosenman, but I'm, I might be wrong about that one, uh, took over. They found w another venue in Wallkill. And they, but they faced a lot of opposition, which ultimately, using that, they were banned from using that venue due to the porty potties not meeting the town co town's code. However, this did give a lot of publicity to the festival. Um, and they did find a dairy farm in Bethel, but there was a ban, it was officially approved late, and there was a ban on it. That was finally listed on August August 2nd. Now remember, the festival started August 15th. So, that really didn't give them enough time to do, to do, really finish setting everything up. So it reached the point, right before the festival, they had to debate between two things. Between finishing the fencing and building a ticket booth, or to finish the stage. Because, if they didn't, 
build the fencing and the ticket booth, then people could just wander in for free. And if they didn't finish building the stage, they figured that the stage would look pathetic. Um, so, ultimately, the decision was made, and it was the stage, because they were expecting around 200,000 people, because 186,000 people had previously bought tickets. Now, just me chiming in here, they gave the, they allowed the opportunity for people to buy tickets day of. So, in my opinion, I would personally expect to be double the amount previously just in case, especially if it's a first-time festival because you have no idea. And especially with the artists that it was targeting, because it was targeting um, pe uh, the people generally known as hippies, um, you've got to assume that a bunch of people will come and buy their tickets day of. Ultimately, the, uh, the peak number was 400,000 people. So they saw the crowds and they built the stage instead, didn't bother with the ticket booths. Um, which we'll get into the consequences of that in a second. Um, so, but because there were 400,000 people there, there was horrible traffic. Um, the band that was supposed to perform first couldn't even get there at first, so after another artist performed, uh, the band who was supposed to perform first, Sweetwater, had to get flown in by helicopter. Um... The town of Bethel gave up enforcing different uh, different codes, um, and then with the because they weren't expecting that many people, the facilities weren't prepared, uh, like the for especially for sanitation purposes, first aid, um, like porta potties, they didn't have enough food. Um, the governor almost sent in national guard troops. The county declared for a state of emergency, and even like forgetting the. The only way to get the artists in and out, ultimately, in Air Force Base, was uh, started airlifting performers in and out. And now, because I mentioned a second ago that they hadn't completed the fencing or the ticket booths, so they originally planned to uh, charge $18 in advance and $24 at the gate, uh, which is equivalent to about $130 today for, and $170 today, respectively. But, as was mentioned, since they couldn't complete everything, People were just able to walk right in through the uh, through the gaps in the fences that they didn't finish, so it became a free concert effectively. And uh, I don't know if they, I don't think they were required to pay everyone back at that point due to the way that things were. Um, but still, even still, the promoters almost went bankrupt from it. Only reason they didn't was because in 1970, a documentary called Woodstock was released that they own the rights to. And they were able to recoup the funds from that. Now, really, in my opinion, with that, they just really lucked out. Um, but, beside the point, in addition to that, there there was really bad rain throughout, which caused for a lot of mud, mud both like for people getting in, and then also during the festival. People got like really muddy, and ultimately, um, because... One thing that I read people, someone joking about, was that, uh, ultimate, so ultimately, a lot of people left during Jimi Hendrix. By the time Jimi Hendrix was performing, there were around 30,000 people there, compared to the max of 400,000. And, the, I've, well, I've heard that, while I've heard a lot of people just wanted to see him, and uh, to see what he looked like, and then left, I have heard that, uh, there was the joke that some people had started getting sober and realized how nasty they looked, and then started leaving. 
And then because they were kind of laid back with everything, and also because fans were so delayed, there there were really weird times for shows. Uh, performances were so delayed that a lot and went into the morning, the next morning. Like for instance, Jimi Hendrix ended up performing at nine a.m. on the last day when he was supposed to perform late at night. Um, uh, Greatest Clearwater Revival. Um, they uh, so I, I've heard three different three different times about when they were performing. I've heard that they performed at twelve. I've heard that they were performed at three, and I've also heard that they performed at three thirty. I think they were. Well, I th I th there might be a chance that they were scheduled to perform at twelve and ended up performing at like something like three or three thirty, because Grateful Dead ended up performing way long because they did finish decided to finish with a fifty minute version of one of their songs that the festival really didn't have the time for. But um, uh, one member uh, one member of uh, CCR, uh, John Fogerty, uh, the vocalist, he said uh, he said this quote about them starting. We were ready to rock out, and we waited and waited, and finally it was our turn. There were a half a million people asleep. These people were out. It was sort of like a painting of a Dante scene, just bodies from hell, all intertwined in a sleep, covered it with mud. And this is the moment I will never forget as long as I live. A quarter mile away, in the darkness, on the other edge of this bowl, there was some guy flicking his bick, and in the night I hear, Don't worry about it, John. We're with you. I played the rest of the show for that guy. And, I mean, because that... Because, I mean, with him referenced the bowl, that was... With the the venue it was at in Bethel, it literally looked like a bowl. Um, and the stage was at the bottom of the bowl. And then also, as I mentioned, like, with there being delays in, the, in artists, um, like, because of delays of artists even getting there... Um, there were some musicians who were asked to fill in, like, John Sebastian went as a, John Sebastian went to the festival as a guest, and because no artist could get in, they asked him to go up on stage and perform for 30 minutes. Um, one singer, Melanie, was asked to perform because one band, or wasn't supposed to perform, but was asked to because one band didn't want to perform on Friday in the rain. Um, and then some other things that went wrong, most of these aren't as major, but, uh, they had some issues with the lighting. Um, they had to. They had the original lighting planned for one, one for the original location that ultimately had to be scrapped because it wasn't fit for the new location. Um, also, the stage roof that that they had was unable to hold the lights that they rented for the festival, so they wasted money to get these lights, and then were forced to perform only with spotlights, and then. Uh, Lang realized really last minute that they wanted to get an MC, but they had forgotten to. So they asked the guy who was dealing, setting up the lights and all to do it. So he became the MC also. And it was overall a really peaceful festival. There were two deaths. One was from insulin use, and the other one... It, someone was sleeping in a hayfield in a nearby farm and got run over by a tractor. As bad as that sounds, that... It's just the most random death I've ever heard. But, yeah, so overall, I mean, I know it's an iconic festival, but honestly, my view of it is because so much went wrong. They're, in my opinion, they just were really lucky that it worked. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you had all this stuff happen at another festival, you'd probably, like, go down in infamy. But this one, somehow or another, it worked. And now, next one I'm going to talk about is the reunion of 1979. 
this one, this one was a smaller thing. Um, so it, it was held at, uh, Par Meadows Racetrack in Brookhaven, New York, um, which is in, uh, Suffolk County in Long Island. Uh, the attendance was between 18 and 40,000. It, the reports vary on this one, and this one wasn't a major thing. Um, like, a lot of the, like, the main acts were Paul Butterfield and Rick Danko, Canned Heat, Richie Havens, Country Joe McDonald, John Sebastian, Stephen Stills, Johnny Winter, and a bunch of others. Um, there was another one in 1979 that was really informal. That was just pretty much anyone who showed up could play kind of thing. I'm not going to talk about that one because there isn't that much about this one. And even with this one, there weren't that many issues. Like, they were just like, they had more people than they expected. Um, a thousand people showed up and camped out the night before the day of the concert, because it was going to be a one-day thing. And a lot of, they didn't get the permits for this, so a lot of neighbors were complaining about that. And then because of how many people there were, there were a lot of security concerns about it. And in fact, the concert was, um, local officials almost canceled the show and revoked the permits the day of the show. But ultimately, they allowed it to go on. And ultimately, it was successful, but... They did have that little scare beforehand. Now, 94 Woodstock. This one is also kind of quick, because in my opinion, this one I think is the most successful out of all the Woodstocks. And really, I didn't feel like there were too many major issues. I'll get to them in a second, though. So, it was originally scheduled as going to be in 1994, uh, August 13th and 14th. Ultimately, they added in another day, so it started August 12th. It was on Winston Farm, which is out just outside of Socrates, New York. Um, there were a lot of artists. Uh, day one, some of the more notable ones were Violent Femmes, Collective Soul, Cheryl Crow, Live, Aphex Twin, and Blues Traveler. Day two, some of the notable ones were Aerosmith, Metallica, Nine Inch Nails, Salt and Peppa, uh, Primus, uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, um, The Band, The Cranberries, and Cypress Hill. And on day three, um, Peter Gabriel was headlining that day and finished it off, and also they had Red Hot Chili Peppers, Bob Dylan, Jimmy Cliff, Santana, The Elman Brothers, Arrested Development, Paul Rogers, and Green Day. And fun fact, since uh, Bob Dylan, they really put the festival near where Bob Dylan lived in hopes that he would come to the festival, the original Woodstock, but then he wasn't able to go to the first one due to recovering from an injury from an accident, so this was... The 25th anniversary of it was his big, was the big, here's Bob Dylan performing at Woodstock, which was a massive hit. So, again, there weren't too many issues. Really, it was related to the weather and the crowd. So, um, the, let's start with the weather. Um, day one was insanely hot, but then there was a ton of rain, and as a result, the festival became known as Mudstock due to the amount of mud that was caused by the rain. Um, there are three stories that I find interesting. Well, these are more or less of issues depending on the thing, but some of, some of these used it to their success. Um, just some funny stories related to some performances. So, Nine Inch Nails. The members of it actually decided to do some mud wrestling before they, went on, before they were performing, and they went onto the stage absolutely covered in mud. And as a result, they ended up having the biggest crowd of the festival. Because everyone saw them and was like, "Oh, let's see, let's see them now." Um, Primus, uh, 
So they have a song called My Name is Mud. During the song, the crowd started chucking mud at them. Um, their singer and bassist, uh, Les Claypool, he's stopped it by saying, you know, when you throw things, you know, excuse me, you know, when you throw things on stage, it's a sign of small and insignificant genitalia. A little bit of a tongue, more of a tongue twister than I expected there. Um, and then the last one, this one I honestly find the funniest, uh, Green Day. So they had just released Dookie but, and weren't that popular. So Billy Joe Armstrong, their singer-guitarist, he started a mud, a mud fight during their song Paper Lanterns with the crowd. And their bassist, Mike Durnt, was actually mistaken for a crowd member who that when there were some crowd members jumping on the stage to throw mud, and he was tackled by a security guard and, as a result, had a tooth knocked out. So he had to go to the hospital, had some, have some surgery. and But as a result of this mud fight and the incident with Mike Dirt, Mike Dirt um, Dookie became a massive hit after that, and the rest is history, history for Green Day. So while those ones aren't really issues, I just found those ones to be three really funny stories from that. Um, and, but... The, probably the biggest issue from that was the crowd. So, there were 164,000 tickets sold. And now, I, and now, I mean, that one's tougher because, um, so you have, because, I mean, again, as I said, like, with the doubling, but then the original one had, I had, like, 400,000 people, so I would still probably assume, I, I don't know how many I would assume, but, probably, Maybe like 450, but either way, ultimately the crowd was estimated at 550,000, which was more than I was expecting. And also, due to the crowd being much bigger than they expected, they had uh, trouble enforcing policies regarding entering and exiting the festival. And, um, which, as a result, they were unable to enforce individuals sneaking outside items in, such as food and drinks. Which was a big thing for them, and because you know, like typically at festivals, you can't you can't leave and re-enter. People were doing that freely at this festival. Now, the so now the next one I'm going to talk about is probably the most infamous one. Um, this one was the '99 Woodstock. So this one took place between July 22nd and 25th. And it was at uh, in Rome, New York, at a former Air Force base, uh, Griffiths Air, Air Force Base. Uh, this one had around 400,000 people at it. Um, MTV provided live coverage uh, for a pay-per-view and was really involved with that stuff. And there were a couple things that they were really focused on before this one. First off, they had a lot of issues with, like, in from the previous Woodstocks, they had issues with people sneaking in and entering and leaving. So the solution they came up with was having a 12-foot plywood and steel fence that they said was unbreakable, and then also getting 500 police troopers. And then what they also did was, um, if you've been to a music festival, you probably see that like you have a lot of different sponsors, vendors, all this stuff at these festivals. Well, I think part of that does is th is thanks to this festival because they wanted to have the vet this presence of vendors and sponsors to be somewhat like a mall, and they also did have ATMs and email stations. Um, 
obviously email stations aren't really a thing at these festivals now, but ATMs are still prominent at many festivals. So, for the lineup, so, it was, there was like a, it was a four-day thing, the day one was like, kind of like the pre-festival, so I'm just going to count day, I'm just going to call day one as the Friday, um, even though they had stuff on the Thursday. So, day one, the, so the main acts were George Clinton, Bush, Korn, The Offspring, DMX, Insane Clown Posse, The Roots, Sheryl Crow, Live, James Brown, and Moby. Day two, some of the major acts were Metallica, Rage Against the Machine, Limp Bizkit, uh, Alanis Morissette, Ice Cube, Dave Matthews Band, Chemical Brothers, Counting Crows, uh, Wyclef Jean, Kid Rock, and uh, Fatboy Slim. And then day three, some of the bigger acts were Red Hot Chili Peppers, Megadeth, Creed, Godsmack, Jewel, Collective Soul, Elvis Costello, and Willie Nelson. Now, there were lots of issues. The f first one that I'll talk about is related to the environment. So, in particular, this is a combination of the way it was, the venue, way set, way, venue was set up and the weather. So, it was 100 degrees uh, during the festival, over 100 degrees at a, bu a bunch of the days, and they did this on a former airstrip, and it had no trees on there. And then also, they put the stages over two miles apart from each other. So, right off the bat, that's... You gotta worry about dehydration there. Um, so, they had really high prices for the vendors, and if you went... And then if you didn't want to pay for one of those, you could go to local stores, which at that point, because everyone was going to the local stores, they were totally understocked. And... There also weren't enough free water stations, which is a big no-no at festivals, especially when it's in the summer. And this one in particular was in July. So, ultimately, there were some people that broke the pipes of some water stations, which uh, gave a lot of water to the people in the middle of the line, then also caused massive mud pits. Uh, so, again, with the mud at these festivals. Um, also, they didn't have enough to uh, toilets in it or showers at them at the venue, and a lot of the toilets and showers that they did have ended up overflowing. After the festival, there were a lot of people that were suing for dehydration. There were also several issues of, of violence uh, and uh, looting and stuff like that. So, there were th really three stages of it. The first one was during Limp Bizkit's set. Um, so... Their singer, Fred, uh, Fred Durst, during different times, he was, like, during their song Nuki, he was encouraging the co uh, the crowd to, like, help people out if they fell or whatever. But then during break stuff, he was more encouraging people to be angry. And while usually when you're on, like, that kind of stage, you can't really see what's going on. So what was happening during that one, though, was that during break stuff, fans started to... Uh, tearing the plywood off the unbreakable walls. So, right off the bat, already not a good start with uh, the unbreakable walls not being unbreakable and then people, just normal people being able to tear the plywood off. Then the next day, when Red Hot Chili Peppers were headlining the last day, so there was a group of peace promoters that were distributing uh, candles to be lit during their song Under the Bridge. 
So during the set, the fans were lighting the candles. There were also a bunch of people that were lighting them to start using bonfires. And then when they wanted food, or wanted fuel rather, they found a bunch of empty plastic water bottles on the lawn and they just started throwing them in to make bonfires. Uh, after their main set, before their encore, they the show had to stop briefly because an audio tire, tower actually caught on fire due to one, uh, one of the bonfires being so tall and hitting it. And then Red Hot Chili Peppers ca uh, came out for the encore. Um, Anthony Kiedis, their singer, um, saw the fires, was marveling them, comparing it to Apocalypse Now. And then one of the songs they chose to do in their encore was Fire by Jimi Hendrix. They have claimed that they did it by request of, uh, at the request of Jimi Hendrix's sister, who was backstage, and wasn't to, uh, to ramp up the crowd, but that, but that was not the right, that, <laughs> right there, it's like, no, no. So then after their set, so some people wanted to keep the bonfires grow, growing, so People were ripping more plywood off the indestructible fence. And then after that, that one really, no pun intended, set off a firestorm where ATMs were being broken into, tipped over, um, trailers were being robbed, vendor booths were being turned over, robbed, uh, set aflame. Ultimately, they had to bring in police, and they formed a riot line, which fortunately had little resistance, but even still. Um, so MTV host Kurt uh, Loader... A lot of, um, described it as follows. It was dangerous to be around. The whole scene was scary. There was just waves of hatred bouncing around the place. It was clear we had to get out of there. It was like a concentration camp. To get in, you, you get frisked to make sure you're not bringing in any water or food that would prevent you from buying from the outrageously priced booths. You wallow around in garbage and human waste. There was a palpable mood of anger. So, honestly, that, you're just seeing that quote, it, that probably could have, uh, he's probably right that all that probably contributed to that stuff. Which is interesting because after years of, because for years they were promoting Woodstock as like this peace fest effectively and then there was all this. Um, there were all, unfortunately there were also many issues with sexual assault and rape. So, in particular, um, police were investigating four rape allegations during the show in particular. Um, one case that was being investigated was that uh, a woman was crowd surfing, got pulled down into a mosh pit, and was gang raped in the mosh pit during Limp Bizkit. Uh, there was another issue of a gang rape during Corn, um, And um, as a result of that one, National Organization for Women um, were protesting that uh, this, uh, the festival, like, crazy. Um, there were several lawsuits due to distress from it. One person, uh, died due to, um, what's presumed to be hypothermia during Metallica's set. Um, there was a lawsuit regarding that. And ultimately, Lang, um, name might sound a little bit familiar there, he actually complained that, uh, MTV had so much control during it, um, and called it MTV stock. And it's, it sounded like also that there were some people that were complaining that like it seemed like MTV was like trying to exploit things afterwards. Um, 
Now, Tom Morello, he, the guitarist of Rage Against the Machine, um, what he said afterwards was, Hey man, leave the kids alone. I've had enough of the frenzied demonization of young people surrounding Woodstock 99. Yes, Woodstock was filled with predators. The degenerate idiots who assaulted those women, the greedy promoters who wrung every last set out of the thirsty concertgoers, and last but not least, the predator media who turned a blind eye to the real violence and scapegoated the the quarter of a million fans at Woodstock 99, the vast majority of whom had the time of their lives. And one that I really find interesting, though, is that uh, um, San Francisco Examiner journalist uh, Jane Ganahl, um she called it the day the music died. And uh, also even questioned if another Woodstock, major Woodstock, could ever happen again. Now, fast forward to 2019. So, um, Woodstock 50 was scheduled to happen in 2019. Scheduled to happen August 16th to 18th. I'll get to why I was saying it was scheduled then. Um, Michael Lang, a name that we mentioned a few times already, wanted to plan it, but ultimately was named a consultant for it, um, due to issues with conflict of interest due to different Woodstock organizations. And they estimated that 150,000 people would show up to this thing. And my view of this is, are you freaking kidding? 150,000 people in the last ones had minimum of 400,000 for the major ones? But, again, that's... <laughs> that I guess that's just proving my point. Um, so, I will say, I think that overall they had a... They, uh, they had a lot of... They have a lot, a lot of interesting acts for the lineup. Because the lineup that was scheduled was, on day one, they had the Killers headlining, and then they also had Miley Cyrus, Santana, Lumineers, Reconcheras, uh, Robert Plant, Nathaniel Rat Ratliff and the Night Sweats, uh, John Fogarty, Run, Run the Jewels, Head in the Heart, Maggie Rogers, many others. Um, I will say, I per I, that's a strange combination, having the Killers head, I'm, I'm thrown off by having them having the Killers headline over Miley Cyrus, Lumineers, and the Reconcieres, but beside the point, um, day two, they're gonna have Dead and Company headline, and then also have Chance the Rapper, The Black Keys, Sturgill Simpson, Greta Van Fleet, Portugal the Man, Leon Bridges, Gary Clark Jr., Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, David Crosby, and again, many others, um, and then day three was going to have Jay-Z, Imagine Dragons, Halsey, Cage the Elephant, Brandy Carlisle, Janelle Monet, Young the Giant, Courtney Barnett, Common, Vince Staples, Judah and the Lion, Earl Sweatshirt, and many others. So, that I will say, I think that's a really good lineup. Again, that might be a bit too good. I'll get to that in a second. Um, now, there were... A lot of issues with this festival, possibly the most, definitely, it might be the most out of all of them. So, first off, right off the bat, so I was listening to, I, I don't remember if there was someone that was working with Live Nation or Ticketmaster. I know uh, Ticketmaster officially owns both of them now, but I, it was one of the two, I don't remember which one. Um, well, he was saying that he was working with this festival and was telling about some issues that they were arguing with them, and one of them was the date of the festival. So, they were, it was scheduled to be August 16th through 18th. 
Now, the original one ended up happening August 15th through 18th. They wanted it to be the same weekend. Which is... Which, I mean, that... Yeah, it's a nice sentiment for it, but there... Spoiler alert, there were a lot of other issues, and realistically, it would have been good to have bumped the date of this back some. But apparently the organizers of this were really did not want to move it back because they said... In order for it to be Woodstock 50, it has to be in the same weekend as the original Woodstock, which the, the that Live Nation employee and like some others were arguing, no, people aren't going to know the original weekend of it. It could be in September, and they'll, it will still be 50 years from then, for, uh, in their opinion, which I personally agree with that one, but beside the point. Um, so we're, there were all sorts of issues with the ben venue. Um, first off, with the original venue... It was going to be at Watkins Glen International Racetrack, which uh, is in New York. Um, in Watkins Glen, New York, actually. Um, there were some issues with it. So, at a fish festival that happened in tw that was supposed to happen in 2018, it was ultimately canceled due to issues with water quality and safety. Langan said, no problem, I'll bring in water for out from a separate source. However, many promoters and artists were trying to get him to change venues because, first off, the cancellation of the Fish Festival isn't a good look. And then also, it was really far away from a bunch of hotels. And people were worried that that might limit the, um, that might limit the people that would be able to attend. And then also, there were some issues with the artists. So... First off, the organization that was in charge of funding the it after the press conference announcing the artists, their the funding organization was concerned over the cost of artists that weren't previously discussed with the funding organization. Which I mean, looking at it, yeah, I I could see that. You know, I mean they, I mean the killers, Miley Cyrus, Santana, Lumineers, Reconciers, and Robert Platt all on the same day is probably really expensive. Additionally, I mean, the Black Keys, they, uh, because they were, that was scheduled to be their first show out of hiatus. Um, I mean, a lot of these other acts, like, I mean, Cage the Elephant as the, uh, advertised the fourth biggest name on, on day three, like, and, like, Brandy Carlisle and Jan Janelle Monet also, like, Janelle Monet advertises, like, the sixth biggest name on that day. That's, you're probably paying, and, like, Vince Stable's really far down also. You're probably paying a, more than you should be for this. And also, um, there were, um, again, this one was, and everybody I was listening to with that Live Nation em employee, um, he was saying also that they were in a bunch of debates with, uh, who they should have headline this. Um, or, like, the different days. So, some of them were, a bunch of them were actually against Dead and Company, and were arguing that they should try to get someone like, Pearl Jam or uh, uh, Foo Fighters, like a rock band that will draw a massive crowd now. Which, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm, I think Dead & Company is a good call for this one for two reasons. First off, really, there were a lot, a lot of jam bands that were at the original Woodstock, so it is kind of viewed as a jam festival. And then also, the uh, Dead & Company, their fans will go all over the place to see them. So that's not a concern. The fact uh, about like getting fans to see them, fans will come, fans will watch them, even if it means that they have to stay uh, 
like they're starting at midnight or something, or one in the morning, something like that, there will be a lot of fans staying for Dead and Company. So I wouldn't be concerned about that one. Mm -hmm. um, they, I am a, I was a little bit surprised by the other days. Like I thought they got Jay Z on day three. I guess he's a big name, but I mean he probably costs so much. And then there are also other big name artists that tour more frequently that probably would be more relevant and make more sense. Like I mean, the one that comes to mind off the top of my head is Kendrick Lamar. Um, I don't know if they tried to get him, but I would think that would make so much sense to try to get him. Um, but, I mean, I mean, even before Chance the Rapper's last album, I would have thought maybe him. Um, of course, that's really banking that, that would have been really banking on his album being successful. Um, and I thought that The Killers, honestly, I don't even think out of those artists that The Killers should not have been headlining. So it wouldn't surprise me if people were leaving after, um, after like, Santana or Miley Cyrus, honestly. Um, like, I would have considered having our concierge or Lumineers headline that day instead of the Killers. But, beside the point. Um, and then also there, um, there were allegations that Lang was, uh, trying to bully artists into donating part of their, the money that was being paid to them to charity. Um, and now, the issue, now those issues, yeah, those ones seemed, uh, were... Minor so far, for the most part. The major issue started when the tickets were supposed to go on sale. So, they were scheduled to go on sale on August, or in April 22nd. However, people went on on that day and found that they were not on sale. And they found out that the reason was because the organizers did not obtain a mass gathering permit, which is required for large overnight events in that area. They apparently had applied for one, shortly before tickets were going on sale and had not been granted one yet. Um, so... Already, good start. Um, after that one, the, um, then there were issues where, uh, the organizers, when they originally said that they were expecting 150,000 people, told the people that were doing financing, um, that then, uh, they... So then suddenly they told the people that were funding, investors for funding, that they that they were reducing the capacity to 75,000. The investors pulled out, uh, canceled the funding, um, and then they also claimed that the event was canceled. The organizers uh, of the festival disputed the cancellation, and uh, Lang said that there would be a new investor. And then the production partner then uh, ended up pulling out because at first they estimated that the proper that at that venue, um, really, the ma the safest maximum capacity was sixty five thousand. Then they dropped it to sixty one thousand after investigating again, and they said that they would not work if they would not work with them if they did not lower it to that capacity, which the organizers would not. So they pulled out. Also, there were all sorts of lawsuits because. Uh, um, because the investors claimed that, in particular, claimed that they couldn't run the festival without the investors, which then the, which then in court it was ruled that that was not the case. They could have run the, they didn't have the rights to the, it and all this other stuff. Eventually, they lost the venue because, uh, they missed out on a payment. And I also heard that then there were some issues with, uh, they were trying to, uh, even, uh, do like a 
GoFundMe page for a, a payment and didn't even get enough for that. So they lost the venue. Then they tried a second venue. They were looking at a venue in Vernon, New York, which was the Vernon Downs horse racing track. They were denied a permit three times for it. So then they, they and they gave up trying to find one in New York. They moved to Maryland and went to a smaller venue, the Meriwether Post Pavilion in Columbia, Maryland. And they announced that it would uh, be that it would be a fundraiser and uh, and will raise money for nonprofits related to voter registration and climate change. And it became a free one day concert for uh, for attenders, but all concert goers were encouraged to still donate a certain amount of money. As a result, a lot of artists withdrew when they changed the venue. Um, some of them were changing due to radius clause in which they can't perform, in which with festivals they aren't supposed to perform within a certain radius of that festival. But a lot of, after they changed the venue, then well, a lot, there were some artists that had shows that were in that area. So they bailed out. Um, in particular, um, so Dead and Company and Jay-Z both pulled out. Uh, and then also Miley Cyrus, Chance the Rapper, Lumineers, David Crosby, Reconciers, John Fogarty, a bunch of others uh, dropped out due to all that those issues. The Black Keys had dropped out earlier because they decided that uh, they claimed it was a scheduling conflict. Later on, they admitted that uh, they realized that since they were coming off a hi hiatus and that was going to be their first show, they didn't want to do their first show at a big festival. So, but after all that, then they told the they told the venue because the venue said you can do it if you give us what the lineup will be. So they gave them a lineup and it was going to be the show supposedly headlined by the Smashing Pumpkins. I don't know if the Smashing Pumpkins were actually going to be had actually approved doing this show or not or agreed to do this, but that's what they told the venue. Um, and then it was revealed that 17 days before the festival was going to happen, or before that show was going to happen, they still had yet to submit a permit, or submit for a permit. Ultimately, the show was canceled the next day, and uh, Lang Blank financers for it, I personally, as you probably heard me chiming in, I blame the fact that they were doing really crap, they were really crappy at organizing everything, um, and I know in particular, because I know they eventually did put tickets on sale even before they got the permits. So when they had to change venues, there were people that had already bought tickets. Because so, you know, one radio show that I listened to, um, one of the uh, one of the co-hosts of it had, was a is a big uh, a big deadhead, and he and he had already bought tickets for his family to go after a lacrosse tournament, and then they found out that it was moving to Maryland. So ultimately, after so I find that one interesting because well. I, in my opinion, that one, I think that Woodstock 50 is kind of like Firefest 2.0 kind of thing. Um, I mean, on the plus side, people didn't start showing up for it. But, I mean, I, what I really find interesting with that one is that uh, with the with the questioning after Woodstock 99, um, that journalist, uh, Jay Ganahl, questioning whether another one could happen again. And this one ends up being cancelled. So, it's that question still has yet to be answered. Not, I mean, for me, I really think it's possible. But I really do think that one, a 
common link between a lot of these is that we find is that Lang was involved with a lot of these, and I know in particular with the first one, because um, I know there were a mm -hmm. lot of, like, apparently the funders of this one, uh, the investors in this one, so, uh, people financing the original Woodstock, considered pulling out multiple times because of, uh, because of how disorganized Lang was with everything, and they were worried that they wouldn't get any artists until uh, CCR, Creedence Clearwater Revival, ended up joining in and signed up to do that festival. So, it may be seen if there's another Woodstock. I think it's entirely possible. I think they need to just get it together if they do it, and really just learn, really just do better at organizing one. So that's all I have for you guys today. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Um, I know I love, I love reading about this kind of stuff, so I had a lot of fun preparing for this one. Um, at some point I do hope to do a general, uh, um, like one about gen in festivals, uh, or in general festivals failing. So, I know, uh, Firefest is a really popular one for having failed. I, I don't know if I'm going to talk about that one just because there's multiple documentaries about it that would probably do more justice than me talking about it in a shorter time span. But I know there, there are still some legendary festivals that, <laughs> that went wrong, but... Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Thank you guys very much for listening. Um, make sure to check out the Facebook page, Groupie and Harmony. And again, make sure you check... Uh, you can also feel free to check out the all the new sites that I now have my podcast up on. So I'm really excited about this. Um, and my apologies again for it being so long since the last episode. Planning on the next episode to be at the latest next weekend. Um, if I have time during the week, then I'll... Uh, then I'll record one during the week, too. We'll see what happens. Anyways, I hope you guys have an amazing rest of your day. Bye.